0: Okay, So today we continue our study of the Dhammapada. On to verse number 24, which goes as follows vato sati mato. Suchi kamasa nisamakari no. Sanyatasa dhamma jivino. Appamatasa. Yasobi vadati. Yasobi vadati. Which means, vato, for one who is uh, effortful, who puts forth effort, Satimato, who is mindful, Suchikamasa, with pure uh, actions, with pure acts. Nisamma you know, one who acts conscientiously or considerate. Sanyatasa, one who is subdued. Dhammati, we know, who lives by the Dhamma. Appamatasa, one who is apamada, appama, uh, heedful or vigilant. Yasobi vadatti, uh, for such a one, Glory ever increases, or greatly increases, constantly increases. The glory of such a person who is all these things. Now this story was told in regards to a, well it's a fairly ordinary story, it actually doesn't have much to do with meditation, but it's another example of how the, uh, the story shouldn't set the context, or shouldn't... Uh, eclipse the meaning of the verse shouldn't define the meaning of the verse it does set the context and it helps us to understand uh, the reason why the buddha gave the teaching but the, as i've said before the buddha giving in giving the teaching wasn't trying to give a teaching specifically about the, this instance he was taking the, the example and creating a rule out of it which as you can tell from the verse actually does very much relate to the, the Buddhist teaching and the practice so we have to we have to be able to separate the story out. but anyway we'll tell the story story goes that there was the son of a very rich uh, couple and again it's a story of a fa- of a, a plague and the parents were, were afflicted with the plague and so they told their son to, to run away and they told them where to find all of their treasure that they had hidden and said, when you're older, come back and retrieve your treasure. Retrieve all of our wealth. He hid it away and buried it or so on. And so, greatly distressed and crying, he left as a boy and uh, lived abroad for some time before coming back 12 years later, I think it says. When he came back, he had grown up and had a beard and so on, and so nobody recognized him. And he went where his parents had said the treasure was buried and he found it and saw that it was there. But he thought to himself, no one recognizes me and I'm a, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I have no station and have no, no other wealth. If I were to take this wealth and, and start to live by it, no one would believe it was mine and they would, they would capture me and think I had stolen it and put me in jail. So he buried the treasure again, covered it up, and instead of taking it, he didn't take even a piece of it, because it would have been gold or so on, very valuable. Instead, he went to live his life as an ordinary, as an ordinary uh, worker. He found a job uh, as a manager, uh, keep getting people to work and telling people what, what to do and organizing labor. And I guess he figured that eventually he would slowly, once he had got some of his own money, he would slowly bring that money in. But he didn't dare to take it, and so he lived quite conscientiously. Uh, and this was in Rajagaha, that he was living in Rajagaha. The king of Rajagaha was a, a sotapanna, was a follower of the Buddha who had practiced the Buddha's teaching and, and become a sotapanna. And he also had some fairly sp- special intuition of his own. He was able to tell the station of any man whose voice he heard, and it may have been because of his training as a king. But he one day he heard this... this um, this uh what's his name Kumba 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 yas Kumba gosa Kumba gosa Kumba gosaka one who has a voice a uh, voice of of wealth Kumba or voice of buried treasure i think it means actually uh, the sound of the buried treasure or the sound of hidden treasure and uh so he heard this, and, and he heard this sound of this man, and he said, now there's a man who, is, who has great wealth. And one of the servants who was standing there, she went and looked and saw that it was just an ordinary man who was actually quite poor. And she thought, well, kings don't just say ordinary things, so she sent someone to find out about him. And it turns out that, yeah, he's living in a, poor, in a small hut alone with absolutely no wealth. And so she came back and told the king, and the king said nothing. And yet the next time the king heard his voice, he said the same thing. He said, hmm, man has, has, that's a man of great, great wealth, like more than, more than ordinary. And so the, the slave couldn't understand, and, and, and the servant sent an, a, a man to check, and again and again found out that there was nothing to, there was, he had no wealth of his own. Or he, it appeared that he had no wealth. And so this servant devised a trick. she took her daughter and they went and she got her daughter to they, they went and lived with him, pretending to be poor people, and got her daughter to become married to him and got him seduced by his by her daughter and uh, ended up living together and and then she sent back to the king and told the king to to order everyone to have a, a festival that there was to be a festival, and everyone had to decorate and and uh, their part of the, of the their home had to be decorated, and anyone who didn't decorate it would be, decorate it would be punished. This was the king's order, and of course kings can order just about anything. So this woman she said, "Oh, my son, we we need we need money." And he and he said, "I have no money. What are we going to do?" And she said, "Well, then we go borrow some. Find some way to get money." And she kept asking. So he went back to where the treasure was, and he was so pestered by her that he he, he didn't know what to do. He went back to the treasure and took one gold coin out. And he gave it, he brought it back and gave it to her. She took that gold coin, looked at it, it was some kind of older issue coin, and uh, sent it off to the king, and used her own money to, as a royal servant to pay for the, the uh, decorations. And again, she had the, later on, she had the king do the same thing again, and she pestered him again to get money for the decorations, and he went and got three, got, uh, it says three more, but I don't think it's three more, because in total there were only three. Anyway, in total, I think there were three uh, gold coins that she sent off to the king. Then she went. Then she. Then she went and told the king that uh, he must have money and there's something the, the king can do what he wants. And so the king sent some men to to bring him to the castle, and they tied him up and they brought him to the castle. And the king said, "What are you doing hiding your all your wealth from 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 the kingdom? Because normally you'd have to pay taxes, I guess." And he said, I have no wealth. Where would I where would I have wealth? I'm just an ordinary, I'm working as a day laborer. And the king pulled out the three gold coins and said, Then who are these? Whose are these? And he said, and he knew that the game was up, and he looked and he saw the servants, the royal servants had gone back, the mother and the daughter, and he knew that he was in trouble, and so he told the king, and the king said, how much money do you have? And he said, "This much. And the king sent a bunch of carriages, got the money, and uh and see, the thing was that they understood that it was his. He told the whole story of how he had been a, a rich people's son and that they had died and left a treasure to him and he didn't want to take it. And when they brought all this gold, it was amazing that this man, because you've got to think that during that whole time, it's amazing that he, the greed, didn't overcome, greed didn't overcome him and he was able to live after being a rich, rich family son and he was able to live as a poor man and so the king was quite impressed and he said he made him a, a royal treasurer or banker or whatever and gave him his own daughter in in marriage or maybe this woman's daughter it's not quite clear and took him to see the buddha and said Bhante, have you i, I can look at this man uh, the likes of whom has never been seen before even though he had so much money he didn't ever he was never tempted to go and take it and he was content to live and to work and as his uh, work as an ordinary laborer for his life. Now this is the story. So the Buddha's reply was these two these two verses, uh, showing how a person who acts properly, a person who is conscientious, a person who is mindful, a person who knows the consequences of one's actions, uh, for them glory increases. So by the sounds of it, it's. It's actually quite a simple and mundane story, and it might actually seem to be encouraging us to uh, live to save up our wealth and so on and For ordinary people that it, it can be seen in that way, and people living in the world can see that hmm, when we work, we shouldn't become greedy and become attached to our wealth, we should still work hard even though we're wealthy and we should be conscientious and so many things here that are good in the world Utano people should living in the world should be Uh, hard-working, satimato, of course, they have to be mindful. When they do things, they have to do it conscientiously. That's nisamma no, they have to be conscientious and do things methodically and do the right thing. Suchi kamasa, their actions should be pure. So they shouldn't be treacherous and so on, and they should make their livelihood by pure means. As opposed to nowadays, you see people, when they amass lots of money, they tend to become very corrupted and uh, and stingy and so many things. And as a result, now you see so much discord in the world over the, these rich people who refuse to support uh, or who have, have basically cornered so much of the wealth uh, in, in shady and, and underhanded ways by cheating, basically, by corrupting politicians and bribing politicians and deregulation and so on and all of this. So this is what is called asuci kamasa, impure deeds. So the Buddha said, a person with pure deeds. This is how true glory comes about. Sanyatasa, person who is subdued. Uh, this means a, a person who isn't uh, arrogant and isn't uh, rash. So who acts in a in a mindful, really in a mindful way, but doesn't isn't. Um, Addicted to sensuality, always looking for new pleasures and so on. And dhamma di we you know living by the dhamma. So of course, living by the Buddha's teaching, living by the truth, you could say, uh, living truthfully, and living according to, to goodness and righteousness. Appa-matas-sa, the person who overall, and really, all of these things are a description of Appamata of, of heedfulness. The person who is heedful and always on guard. For such a person their glory increases yes, yasa. yasa can just mean fame or, or can, glory is a, I think a good translation and it generally can mean simply worldly glory but what we have to do here is think of, of who the Buddha was and what he was, what he was bringing to the world and obviously he wasn't bringing people the teaching yes you should become bankers and treasurers and work hard to, to get the king's favor this, so this obviously wasn't what he was saying and in fact, if you look at it, at it and you think about it, and you think about who has the true glory, of all the people in India, of all people who have come out of India, uh, I can't think of one person in the history of India who has more glory than the Buddha. The second might be Gandhi, who came much later, of course, but you'd have to think that that of these two, there's no question that in all of India, of all the kings, you know, even King Bimbisara or King Ashoka, who came later, None of them have even a part of the glory of the Buddha. So then you ask yourself, uh, who, who, where does the true glory come from? And you can see that these, these virtues apply far more to someone like the Buddha or to even to a Buddhist meditator than they do to this, this banker who, who acted in a, in a very noble sort of way in a mundane sense. But it was actually quite a mundane sense. He was still very much, seems to be addicted to sensuality, falling for this this woman's daughter. Uh, and if you read the story, it was... If you read the story, actually, he seems like a really nice guy, to tell you the truth. When these women came to live in his home, uh, and they started... First, what they did is they cut his his bed, so that when he sat on it, it fell apart. Because there was only one other bed, and that was where his the, the daughter was sleeping. And so, you go and sleep with my daughter then. She called, she said, oh, son, you go and sleep with your sister. And, of course, it didn't happen like that. It wasn't meant to happen like that. Uh, but what he said at the, in the beginning is he said, you know, you guys are too much for me. When I was alone, I could come and go as I please. And now I've got all these troubles now that you've come, which is really the truth. As you take on a family and, and a mother-in-law and, and children and so on, so much headaches and problems come. Uh, which was what he was realizing, but he fell for it. So, but anyway, these qualities. We have to remember the Buddha is not referring specifically to this uh, this example. He's using this example to show how these how this reality works, and it works uh, for all people, most especially for the for us in meditation. So. What we should do is look at this verse in terms of its meditative applications, and we can use this guy we can actually use this whole story as kind of an allegory we can think of of ourselves as working hard here in meditation and you're working here, and actually you don't have uh, you don't have much salary salary in, in in the sense that you're practicing and it seems like sometimes you're not getting much and you're working really hard and it's quite painful, quite difficult well, at times. It seems like oh here all I'm getting is bug bites and uh, not sleeping enough and no pleasure and no 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 entertainment and so on none of the and not even good food and so, on. so sometimes you think oh what's it all for but what you're doing is you're developing all of these qualities and as a result well you can look at, at what happens to someone with these qualities this person eventually was recognized by a wise individual, a king and a powerful individual. So we be, you become recognized by the world, just as the Buddha became recognized by the world. And your your glory, and we're going to put aside the idea of glory in the world, but here in his case, glory in the world came to him, but for you, glory in the Dhamma comes. So you become in the universe. And in fact, that's really what it is. The whole of the universe becomes... Uh, or reacts to your greatness. And so many people who practice meditation will go on to become angels, will go on to heaven, or that's according to the text anyway. But even in this life, you become a great teacher, you become someone who people listen to, someone who people respect. The people who you find yourself surrounded by are good people who respect what you have to say, who listen to you, who care for you, who support you, and so on, because you have these things. So what are we doing in meditation to develop these? Well, the first one that we're developing is utana, which means effort. So the first, the first quality of meditation. This is what you gain from things like walking meditation or even just sitting: the effort to stay still, and the effort to stay with the object and not run away from it, and not uh, avoid reality. And just the effort, just that effort, to not fall into liking or disliking. Even the effort just to say to yourself, rising, falling, or say to yourself, sitting, or seeing, or hearing, or pain, or aching, or so on. And to just simply that, that effort, it, it has a profound effect on your mind and on your whole being. Some people think that the practicing here, you're not getting any exercise, but in fact you're getting an incredible exercise, and your, your whole being is becoming stronger. You'll find that when you leave, even after doing the foundation course that your mind is, all of the wavering in your mind, or much of the wavering in your mind is gone. And you become a more powerful individual. This is something that people respect, that the world respects, that the whole universe reacts to. And of course, internally, you become much more peaceful and much more uh, at ease, and much more in in tune with with reality. Sati So we have to be someone who, de- who develops mindfulness. So this is the practice that we're we're using the effort for. So the effort is to develop mindfulness, really. We have this effort and we're developing mindfulness. If you put those two together, it means uh, having effort and being mindful. Then you really have the essence of the practice. Because concentration is something that comes by itself when you have these two. They surround concentration. If you want to develop right concentration, you have effort, you have directed effort. So it's not just working hard like this man did, but... In in terms of meditation, it's uh, working hard to or working hard in a focused manner. You know, well, this man, of course, he actually the truth is he was focused, right? He was working hard, and he had a goal, and he had uh, he knew his way, and he knew uh, he, he knew the reasons for doing why he did. So, in a sense, why well, he did what he did. So, in a sense, he was mindful. But what we're doing is even more so, knowing what we're doing, and and understanding the reason, and understanding the purpose, understanding everything we do. When you want, when you go to eat, for example, you understand wanting to eat and wanting to take, you understand the desires and so on that, that make you eat too much, for example, and so on. So you understand cause and effect. Uh, so basically you have mindfulness and you're aware of things. Uh, in an ultimate sense, you're aware of every movement, every experience. And for when you're walking, 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 you know it is walking. When rising, you know, rising, when pain, you know, it is pain. This is mindfulness. So you have pure actions. And so this this might sound like a person, like a, thing, a teaching for people living in the world. And because it means you don't cheat others and you don't lie and you don't steal. But it, it, it is... It's on a much more profound level for someone who's practicing meditation, because when you're practicing meditation, everything you do becomes pure, or you're purifying everything you do, even eating. An ordinary person, when they eat, they don't think about it. Is it wrong to eat? Is it right to eat? It's a silly question, of course. There's nothing wrong with eating, right? I bought this food, I made this food, and it's mine. I can eat it. So they just eat it, and they think that's suchikama, that's a, a pure karma. But as a meditator, we know that that's actually not the case. Even though it's yours and you bought it and so on, it can still be an evil act in the sense that you still become addicted to it, and evil in the sense that it's going to create addiction and suffering for you. Even just eating food, we can see how much we become addicted and we lose our whole mindfulness and forget what we're doing and our mind goes somewhere else. And maybe if it's bad food, we get upset and angry and don't like it. And we can see the the evil for us in that, that it causes us suffering. And causes us to do all sorts of nasty things as well. So the purity that we're gaining is on a whole other level. The purity that you're gaining in your practice is something, it's exactly what the Buddha was referring to, and we, shouldn't, we have to be careful not to miss that. That the purity of karma doesn't come from intellectually thinking this is right, this is wrong, or or even in terms of just the five precepts. It's on a much more profound level, not doing anything with greed or anger or delusion. Nisam <laughs> karino. And a person who acts conscientiously, or uh, uh, aware, of, uh, knowing the right way of acting, and so on. So this means knowing what you're doing when you act. It's in the same sense of, of having uh, doing the right thing. Because when you're when you're mindful, you're aware clearly of what you're doing. Is this the right thing to do? Am I doing it for the right reason? You do it in the right way. So when you walk, normally when you walk, you're walking you know, kind of. Uh, uh, mindlessly you know? and so as a result you might trip and fall or, or um, you'll find that your body becomes tense as a result of your actions what you find in meditation is actually a lot of our tension and all of our stress is, is a result of the way we act and the way we move our bodies so you come to, you come to refine your movements you come to refine your actions even our speech We find that we're speaking in in a more clear way and we're speaking less. We find ourselves not going on and on about mindless things, about things that are unrelated to to mental development and so on. We find ourselves less interested in it. We see that it's causing us stress and suffering. So our actions and our speech and even our thoughts become much more clear and much more uh, careful. That's what this means, acting carefully which comes directly from meditation. Sannyatasa means uh, we have sannyata, we have, uh, or we're developing this subdued nature, or um, controlled. Controlled in the sense that we're not letting ourselves go out of control. It doesn't mean you have to force yourself not to see things or hear things. It means when you see things, you're controlled in terms of just knowing it that it's seeing. And not letting yourself get caught up in enjoying beautiful things or being angry at unpleasant things, and so on, but falling into this partiality that that brings you so much out of balance. Dhamma ji, we know a person who lives by the dhamma. So it, the wording is kind of in terms of having a life livelihood that is righteous, and so it does accord with the story. But uh, you can never comp- you could never compare the life of a banker to the life of a Buddhist meditator, for example. And the someone who the Buddha is really trying to talk about here. Is, and he's trying to explain to the king that it's not this person, what he did, that's so great. It's his qualities of mind, which are uh, which are to be found so much more in a, medita- in a person who is practicing meditation. So one who lives by the Dhamma, uh, one who lives righteously. Yeah, well, If you look at the way we're living you know, here, living in a way that is cultivating goodness and developing peace and, and tranquility and is avoiding so much of the... We're building a society here, in a sense. Even in just a monastery like this, you're building a society that has so much... You know, There's no weapons of war, right? There's no drugs. There's, well, sometimes the villagers bring their red, stuff, red juice stuff, but trying to keep it out. There's no, there's so many, so much of society, there's no sensuality, no entertainment, none of this uh, Hollywood addiction, addiction to sensuality or pleasure or entertainment, beautification and all of this. So much of the things that bring, that are bringing the world down and are bringing chaos to the world, we're doing away with. We're developing a, a way of life that is pure, that is according to the truth and reality and and uh, and harmony and, and peace. More, Moreover, we are developing this for the world, and we're creating, uh, or we're spreading this teaching. So when people come, they, they're able to see this, and they're able to take the example back, and they're able to use teachings like this. For example, when we record the teachings, you know, just our living by the Dhamma and sitting here talking about it uh, is something that helps the world because we spread it. Because by talking about it, we let other people know what we're talking about. Okay. Let other people know that I'm saying this. And then they'll think, they'll think of this, this man who worked in a right way. And they'll think, well, that's, that's uh, on a level that I can deal with it. And they'll live their lives conscientiously and according to the truth, according to, to goodness. They won't become greedy and self-serving. And uh, when they do have wealth, they, they won't become obsessed by it. And in this way, in all of these ways, they will become appamata. They will become uh, heedful or, or vigilant, not, neg- not negligent, not heedless. And uh, as, I, as I said yesterday, uh, really the meaning of, of heedfulness is mindfulness. And the Buddha said this at one point, there is a quote, uh, satya avipavaso appamata uti, appamata uti, A person who is never without mindfulness. This is the meaning of one who is heedful or not negligent. But when you put all of these things together, you get an idea of what it means to be heedful. A person who is conscientious, a person who is subdued, most importantly, a person who is mindful and full of effort, never giving up, never becoming lazy, never slacking off, and always trying and trying to better themselves, no matter how good they are as a person. Always trying to make themselves a better person. This is a person who is upamatta, and what happens for such a person, their glory ever increases. So, he's not trying to say that the purpose, our purpose, should be to develop glory. He's just observing that what this man has done uh, by the, by you, by um, putting into practice these traits, uh, the, the, the 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 practice of these traits uh, is what has brought this fruit. It is because of these things that this fruit has come. So he's explaining what is most important, which is these virtues. Actually, so many things, good things, come from it. He's not trying to say the only good thing is that you become glorious. Uh, but glory is is uh, most reserved for those who have these strengths, people who work hard and work in righteousness and do good things for the world, as we can see that the Buddha did, and people like Gandhi or so on, who tried to help people, are said to have tried to, good things and bring peace and happiness and harmony and prosperity, and glory, in the sense of, of goodness and and um, raising up people's consciousness and people's lives to happiness and peace. So this is what leads. This is the Buddhist teaching on what leads to yasa, what leads to glory. That's verse number twenty-four, and that's the Dhammapada teaching for today. Good one for our meditation as well. Very good one. Another one from the Apamadavaga. So, thanks for tuning in and back to our meditation.